It's good to see everybody today. Uh, welcome, welcome. Um, well, as as uh, is there a reverb that you're hearing? It's annoying, isn't it? All right, is that better? I'll try not to do my over projection. Uh, all right, well, as you already heard, Pastor Jim and Alsi, our beloved senior pastor and his beloved wife, are on vacation, much needed vacation. And so uh, John Dotson and I get the opportunity to preach to you the next couple of weeks. And it is always an honor. So I hope our time shared together in the next 30 or 40 minutes will bring you closer to God. I will not be able to do that without the help of the Holy Spirit and his word. So why don't we pray to that end? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship through song that was provided by the team. And as Brian just encouraged us, we have a part to play in making that song pleasing to you. Father, we also have a part to play when we listen to your word. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the distractions, Lord, the restlessness would be quieted for a moment that we would actually begin to think in line with your thoughts, that we would become transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Father in heaven, in this moment to realize that eternity is real, that the God of eternity is real, and that to know you is the absolute centerpiece of life. It is the, it, to know you is life. And I pray for each man and woman here. I pray for the children in the, in the children's ministry wing. That your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Drawing people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you and I were to live over two or 3,000 years ago in Israel, this would look a little different, wouldn't it? If you wanted to maybe offer uh, a praise offering, or you maybe wanted to offer a sin offering, or maybe you have had a big harvest and you wanted to offer this idea that God is the provider of the rain and the sun that brought the harvest in, you would be coming in and it would be a little smelly. And not because I didn't take a shower. You, you would be coming in with an animal and you can read all this in the book of Leviticus. I know that's where you normally go to in the morning for your devotional time. Uh, you all are, those, those Bible readers in the audience are are chuckling to themselves because they were just in the Leviticus this morning. But but I listened to the entirety of that book in preparation, and you say, well, are we going to preach a sermon from Leviticus? I'm about to leave. I got to... No, it's from Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. But there is sacrificial language that harkens back to Leviticus in Romans 12, 1 and 2. So let's go on with our narrative. Now you know I'm not crazy. Uh, let, let's go on. So you would bring that, that animal in, and it was supposed to be an animal without blemish, meaning it wasn't the runt of the litter. It wasn't the one you couldn't get any money for at the market. God ordained that you would bring your best to him, and then me or John or Pastor Jim, if he was here, we'd get out the knife and we would, we would shed the blood of that animal right on the altar. So they didn't have, uh, I mean, I guess you could correct me, they had pulpits, but maybe it was, it was altar mainly was the centerpiece of the tent of meeting and then later on the temple. And then on that altar, that blood would be spilled and it would symbolize 
the atonement if it was a sin offering. And atonement is a $50 word that I know you also use at Starbucks a lot in the morning when you're reading Leviticus. Uh, you say, give me that two-pump latte. I got atonement and Leviticus on my mind. But atonement is an important word for us to know because it means, uh, Pastor John taught me this, it means satisfying the wrath of God. Now, before you get too worried that we're doing fire and brimstone, we're just preaching truth so that you may come closer to God. And so sin is a rejection of God and his design and our choosing desire over it. And so they would have this symbolic Levitical sacrifice. And that comes from the priest line of Aaron, the Levites. And they would shed that blood and then they would take a portion of that animal. And if you read Leviticus, it's very specific on how God wants the portion of that animal to be placed on the altar. But what is also important to note, which relates to our message today, is all of it was burned by fire. The part that was on the altar was totally consumed by fire in order to please God, in order to offer worship that was acceptable to God. That sacrifice had to be consumed. By fire. We're going to get to you in a moment. Now, now you're just safe. You're a safe distance. You're just an animal. We're in history. So there's two things that are going on there in Leviticus, which I know you're not going to read this week. One, God is declaring to his people that he is holy. He is completely set apart and different than any other being you will ever come to know. You cannot enter into his presence in a casual manner. You cannot, it's like holding lightning with your hands are wet and expecting not to be shocked. We need to gr grasp the holiness of God. So he's giving this very specific ordained way to come into his presence and it's blood and fire. Is blood and fire. And yet, the blood of the animal, even though the people had to buy it, really wasn't from them, was it? Because who creates all the animals? God does. So even back then, the second thing it was doing was foreshadowing that there would be an unblemished lamb who didn't have four legs, but was a man. And his name is Jesus. He would know no sin. He would live a sinless life. And he, in fact, is God the Son. And he would shed his blood for the satisfying of the wrath of God for our sins. Giving us the ability to be brought back in to relationship with him. So... The two-pronged purpose of Leviticus, we're getting in and by introduction to our Romans 12, <clears throat> is there's no fire without blood. You can't begin to offer your life as a living sacrifice, which is almost a direct quote from our text, until you receive the gift of God's blood. There's no fire without blood. Are you following me? For the next 35 minutes, we are going to use these words interchangeably. The blood 
is the mercies of God. Manifested most powerfully in the blood of his son. But it is not limited to just the blood of his son. We'll see that in Romans 12, 1 and 2 in a moment. The blood is God's care for you. His provision for you. His protection for you. His reconciliation for you. And the fire is our sacrificial response to his mercy toward us. You come here to worship because he gave you his blood. Whether it's through song or through a variety of other things in your week. You are drawn by the spirit to give your entire life as a burnt offering for God's will. But you can't do that without meditating on the mercies of God. Let's begin. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in the first century in the large metropolitan city of Rome, Italy. Underneath a crazed man named Emperor Nero. You can fact check that. You can look at extra biblical sources. Most people would agree Emperor Nero existed and he was crazy. And that is the historical setting with which this letter is being written to these new believers. New in the sense of it was only a few decades that Christ has just rose from the dead. So they couldn't have been that seasoned. And Rome was a melting pot like America. All kinds of cultures and language and people lived in Rome. And he has written a 16 chapter letter to them. And the first 11 chapters, he has unpacked the blood. He has spent 11 chapters. You will not get a more comprehensive gospel message than reading Romans 1-1 through the end of Romans 11. He unpacks the good news about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what difference does it make in your life? Or why does it matter to you? And so in Romans 12, he pivots from his attention now to what are you going to do about it? You ready? Y'all with me? Okay, let's jump in. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, we'll talk about that word mercy in a moment, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, or in other translations, your spiritual worship. We're not offering animals anymore. You are getting on that altar. Because Jesus was on that cross. You catching me? We not sleep, are we? The Christian, there's no, there's no fire without blood. Remember the two words that we're going to anchor our message today? Blood represents the mercies of God, most powerfully manifested in the blood of his son, but not limited to. Fire represents our sacrifice to God which is a pleasing, acceptable response to his blood. 
There's no fire without blood. In other words, it has to come first that God cares about you. It has to be meditate on regularly and deeply that he loved you first. That fuels your willingness to sacrifice for him again and again and again. But make no mistake, while there's no fire without blood, if you've received the blood, you're called to the fire. If you have received the blood, if you have received the mercies of God, we're using the phrase, the mercies of God and the blood interchangeably, the way God cares for you and most explicitly by giving you the blood of his son. If you have received that, you're called into the fire. You're called to a life of sacrifice. But you got to get the order right. And for those of us who are in the audience who are seasoned believers, I'm going to speak long and in depth to some of the things that we can stumble with as we sometimes grow weary of doing good. We get the order backwards. And then to the person in the audience who may not yet know Jesus, I will emphasize the necessity of receiving the blood of the Lamb. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We'll talk about that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. First, I speak to the Christian. How many times in your Christian walk have you said, I just want to know what the will of God is for my life? Don't raise your hands. I just, I just really want to know what God's will is for my life. I just really want to please him today. I just really want to worship him. Because when you've been born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and gives you new desires. And a chief of those desires is pleasing God. Oh, sure, we have all kinds of static and flesh and distraction that gets in the way of the believer's mind. But down deep where you really live, you have one thing on your mind, Christian. And that's pleasing the God who saved you. There is nothing that brings me more pleasure than pleasing the God who saved me. But there are things that come in in the way of that, right? In day-to-day life, aren't they? So why I want to make a big deal of the order of Paul's admonition is because it's going to bring home, as Pastor Jim teaches us on Monday morning. First, it says this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That's NIV. In the NASB, in the ESV, in the New King James, it's mercies, plural, spoken five times in the New Testament. And it's the idea of God's visceral care towards you. Nobody uses visceral, atonement, or Leviticus. But let me tell you this. What he's saying is, you ever see a mama care for her children in a moment when they're deep down and out? She, she'll run through fire to make sure that their boo-boo's taken care of. That's the kind of compassion God has for you. And, and, and this is, this is it. You can leave now. If you want to leave in five seconds, here it is. I'll give you the whole sermon right now. You would do well to meditate daily on how much God cares for you before you jump to your to-do list of what you're going to do for him. You can leave now. You should be edified by that. I could think about that for 55 years. 
No, I'm serious. Because if you're like me and my wife has cautioned me, he said, everybody's not like you, Dave. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to project. You know, my wife is wise. You got to listen to your wife. It's important. It's a good marriage. But she, she knows the Lord. So I'm not suggesting that everybody going to struggle and think just like me. But if you walk with Jesus more than 10 minutes, you've probably had this experience at least once where you wake up and what you would like to have your first thoughts be is God sure does love me. God sure does care about me. Just the fact that my eyes are open and that oxygen is going in and out of my lungs is a testimony to his care and provision for me. I remember when I didn't even know him and I'm waking up today and I can pray to him like a friend. You would like that to be your first thoughts. Now, some of you, it is, and I want to learn from you. But let me tell you how it often happens in my bed. Five o'clock, the watch goes, eyes come open. I start thinking about what I got to do for God. I jump over Romans 12, 1. Keeping in view the mercies of God, then present your lives as a living sacrifice to be burned up by God's will. I jump over that first part. And then guess what happens? Oh, that's when you get resentful. I'm already tired. I've been up for three minutes. You know, I'm thinking, man, I got to do that. I got to talk to that person. I got to do this. Man, I was doing that yesterday and I don't think it worked out. You know, man, Lord, I am a good servant, you know, and I know none of y'all like that as my wife said, you can't project, but some version of that may hit you in the morning. I want to do what the word of God is telling me to do, which is keep the mercies, plural, of God in view before I get to what I'm about to do. Do you hear me on that? Let's talk about that because... My mama uh, came in through the, uh, her birthday on Thursday, and we were talking about the message, and she gave me a little insight, English teacher. And so I'm going to cite the source and then go ahead and give it to you. Because otherwise, we begin to think we're the givers to God. Who's really providing for the sacrifice? God's blood. There's no fire without blood. God provided the animal. God provided Jesus. God provided you the Holy Spirit. God provided you the word. God provided you the desire. God provided you the opportunity. The care that he has given you to get on that altar is all God, baby, all the time. But when you skip over contemplating the mercies of God in their multi-layered approach to his care for you, you begin to think, man, I'm doing a lot for God. And you either get prideful or you get tired. Prideful and tired. Whereas if you do what God's word is teaching us to do, get the order right, you become encouraged and you have discernment. Back to that question I posed about five minutes ago. I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. You get to being a little bit more discerning of what that is when you're meditating deeply and regularly on how much he cares for you. Let's talk about a few things. The examples that I have are not the main thing. I've given you the main thing from the word. We're going to read the word one more time because it's just two verses. I want the word to echo and be fresh in your mind. And we'll talk about some examples. And then we'll talk about the contrast, which is just an overflow of thought 
between being conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to pit those two against each other. The world's thoughts and God's thoughts. So that'll, that'll kind of funnel down our time, okay? But first, let's, let's think about the mercies in some practical arenas. First, remembering that the mercies of God, I just want you to hear this. If you hear this 33 times in this message, it's not because I have nothing else to say. God cares about you. Sit with that for three seconds. That's better than coffee in your cup. Folgers ain't have nothing on that. You remember the commercial, only two people laughed because nobody watches commercials, but it used to be good morning Folgers in my cup. But, but, but you guys, yeah, you guys, you guys are a tough audience today. Okay. You guys didn't get your Folgers or maybe you didn't get your Starbucks. Okay. But, but I want you to hear that refrain because that is what Paul is, is pivoting his line of thought on. Before he tells you to climb on the altar and be consumed as a sacrifice for God. Oh, when he tells you to do that, he says, keep the mercies of God in view. Keep the mercies of God in view. What are a few of the mercies of God? One of them, we've alluded to it already. He cares for you in his provision. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want you to think about your tax statement right now. Well, you know, last year, don't, don't go there. You know how I can, I can know certain things emphatically as a preacher without knowing all of you as well as I'd like to? Because you are all here, alive. He gave you life. Do you realize that? Think about that. That's a mercy of God. God is the creator of all life. Oh, I know your life is hard. I respect that. God knows that. But he gave you life. That's one of his mercies. That's one of him showing you he cares about you. Well, I don't like this about my life. And he has it. Don't silence that for a moment. Meditate on the mercies. of. He gave you life. As I've been preparing this sermon for a week, I've been, because I'm a fast talker and a quick to worry type of person, my wife can attest, that's giving me peace. It's a simple truth, but it's a universal truth. He gave you life. Do you start thinking about that in the morning or do you think your to-do list? Or your problem list, that's another one. We call it a prayer list, but sometimes it's just a problem list. Come on now, you guys aren't laughing today. You guys, come on now. You guys, are, you, guys are, you guys are really putting me through. I'm going to tell Pastor Jim on y'all. He's supposed to be good when he's gone. Um, okay. <clears throat> he provides for you now by sustaining your life. So he gave you life, and yes, it's tough. And you know how I know he sustained your life? Because you're here. You're still standing. You know, in a comfortable suburban 21st century life, we have all kinds of false metrics on what means we're being provided for. Don't we? We have worldly thoughts about whether God's taking care of you, don't you? But a part of being transformed is recognizing, I know he took care of you because you walked in here this morning. Even if you wheeled in a wheelchair, you're still alive. See, for a lot of human history, in a lot of places in the globe, that's just good enough. 
How I know God's looking out for you? Because you're breathing. He's not worried about the 401ks and how the third car's doing. That's not, that's not what he promised. You alive, aren't you? He sustained you. Think about that. He cares for you in his protection. We all have trials, but none of us have all the trials. What downfall have you not had this week? What misfortune have you been shielded from on Highway 217? And I take that every day. What, you know, I got in a car accident a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we could lament, make it about me. And my wife already told me don't do that. Um, it wasn't that bad. But what, what's the good news? I'm still here and I'm okay. Right? Could, 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 have been, could have been a whole lot different. So he protected me. Could have been worse. But so often it's like, yeah, but you don't know kind of the insurance I have to go. Like, oh, man. God has protected me from a worse car accident. I'd rather have it be me than my wife or children. For the Christian, not everybody here in the room is a believer in Christ. We'll get to that in a moment. But for those of you who are, he's protecting you from deception. If you believe the word of God, that is a protection. If the truth of Jesus still rings in your heart, that is a protection from the antagonist of our souls, the devil, who seeks to lie to us, kill us, and steal our life. He cares for you by reconciliation. This is twofold. The greatest way God shows he cares for you is God giving you the blood of his son so that you could be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to him. Do you honestly meditate on that? That once I was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. That isn't just a song. That's the cry of every believer's heart. Do you meditate on the mercy? I don't care what is going on in your life. I care about it, but not in comparison to this. Because let me tell you why I'm emphasizing this before we get on to what's the world's thoughts and what's God's thoughts. Those will be at the end. But really, if you don't steep, I'm a tea drinker, so you, you steep tea. If you don't steep your mind in God's mercies for you, translated in this sermon, in his blood for you, you are not going to want to get on that altar every day and give and give and give and give. And guess what he's going to call you to do? Get on that altar every day and give and give and give. You know what I'm talking about. God calls us to sacrifice everything. And if we're coming from a place of us focus, that we're going to generate the motivation we are going to burn out instead of burn up. Paul is giving us good instruction to meditate on the mercies of God before, during, and after you give yourself as a sacrifice to God. Got to get that order right. It's imperative for your Christian health. Secondly, he gives us the ability to be reconciled to one another. Not every human relationship will experience this, but it is possible in Christ. That's one of the greatest things from human to human that you can experience is forgiveness and reconciliation when there's been estrangement. 
when there's been pain. It's better than food. It's better than money. Because relationship estrangement is really what gives us ulcers and keeps us up at night. It's not having that third car. That, I mean, that really doesn't matter. But estrangement with our relationship with God and estrangement with one another, that's what, that's what kills us. And God has provided, that's one of his cares for us, is that he's provided the path through forgiveness. Sometimes you have to be the one to extend it when it comes human to human as a pathway of reconciliation. All right, well, I want to I wanna be uh, true to what I promised. We're moving on now to verse 2. I've made a big deal about the mercies of God symbolized in the blood of God. And that should, that should be the first before the fire of your sacrifice. Now we'll get into some, it funnels down into some application. And it says this, do not conform or be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we, and then it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So we talked about summarizing this as the thoughts of the world and the thoughts of God. And right now we're not, you know, sometimes, you know, the preacher just wants to give you three slick applications. You know, ten spiritual push-ups, read this verse, and rub some oil on your head, and you're going to be good. That's not what I want you to do. What I'm, why I'm laboring these points is because I want you to get into the biblical principle and practice of focused meditation. Uh-oh. I know some of you listening right now, you're like, is he going to say contentment with prayer? Is he thinking about Eastern mysticism? What's he doing right now? Somebody fire him. Listen to me. Listen to me. Anything the devil does to twist and pervert and draw you away from God is, is just twisting a creation that God instilled. The devil's not a creator, folks. He's a twister. He's a con man. So let me tell you about meditation. It's in the Bible. Let me tell you what meditation is not. And will not help you. Don't empty your mind. Don't do that. Hoping that something's going to fill it. Because it might. Don't do that. That's more Eastern mysticism. Focus your mind on God's thoughts. Which is found in God's word. But you can't do that in a three second prayer before burgers. If that's the only time you pray... You can't do that in 32 minutes listening to Pastor Jim. That's the only time you hear the word. That's not enough. Meditation is a focused repetition on God's thoughts found in God's word. That's why I'm repeating myself. You might say, I'm bored. They've already heard you the first time. Yes, but the more you say it, it's not that we want to look for new truth. We want the, the old truth to become new to us. So here's some thoughts of the world that you were born ready to believe. You ready? I am my own man or woman. Another way to say it, particularly in the economic arena, is I'm a self-made man or woman. I've worked hard to get where I got. In some variation or another, you have struggled with that thought from the world. It's generated from the idea that you are you made instead of God made. Psalm 100 and verse 3, although there are other places we could go, says we are the sheep of his pasture. He created us and not we ourselves. See how I'm comparing 
God's thoughts with the world's thoughts? Why is that important? Because if you just glance over that, you probably already forgot what I said. I said it like eight seconds ago. But if you think about that, what ways when I wake up in the world, do I'm my own man, I'm a self-made man, come into friction with me meditating on the care God has for me and then getting up on that altar and living as, as a living sacrifice for him, being burned for him? Well, for one, if I'm a self-made man, then I know what's best for me. And I can judge God whether he is, do, is, is, is doing right by me. You ever do that? You ever judge God whether or not he's doing right by you according to your understanding? That all stems from the world's thoughts that you actually know what's best for you because you're your own man or woman. So if you slow down, th- th- this, whole, this whole sermon was born in the Winco bulk section. Some of you still awake. That's good. That's good. Um, in the Winco bulk section on Dartmouth, about seven minutes from here, I was getting some bulk items for my wife, and I began to have a thought that was born from the world and was indulged by my flesh. And basically, in a nutshell, it says, man, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, I do a lot of good stuff. And immediately, Pastor Jim wasn't there, so he couldn't, you know, take me to the side and, 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 and lecture me or give me a time out. Immediately, the word of God that was contrary to the word of the world, which was indulged by my flesh, said, but doesn't Romans 12, 3 said that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but rather soberly, because God has dealt to each man a measure of faith? And I said, man, Lord, I need to ask your forgiveness because your word is conflicting with my leaning towards this self-indulging thought. That's what I'm talking about when I say biblical meditation. That's what I'm talking about when you begin to think about the word in the Winco Bulk section. When you can begin to think in traffic and you begin to get, instead of annoyed by these people cutting off and they've done traffic, you begin to think that you are somebody to care for them, maybe through prayer. You begin to think differently and you become to get changed. Because how did it say you're changed? By the renewing of your mind. So it says, another, another word of the world is this. I must earn God's love by my performance. You ever struggle with that? Even as a Christian? I must earn God's love by my performance. It was the end of a long day, a couple of months ago, maybe 11 p.m. And Wendy and I sat there as the kids were quiet sleeping. And I could tell that she also was tired from a day well lived. And I said, babe, how come it is that I, I know I've given all I had to God today? And I feel like you have done the same and there's still so much left undone. So I was contemplating my sacrifice on that fire and my estimation of the results. Yeah? You, you never do that? Never. Okay. And then, uh, and then when he said, she says, Holy Spirit zinger, just right there. Bam. Like, she said, well, maybe it's because you trust more in what you've done than in who he is. <laughs> I had to sit down. I was sitting down. And I had to sit down. You ever been there? Y'all ever been there? I just had to sit down again. 
Because I said, and I said, I looked at her, I said, that, that was from the Holy Spirit. And she says, I know, I could feel it. And, and see, we was having church right there in the living room, 11 o'clock at night. God stopped because, because sometimes we get to thinking as good, hardworking Christians that we're earning God's love. We're maintaining his love by our effort. But what does the Apostle Paul write in Romans 5 verse 8? But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. When you didn't care to pray once, God loved you. When you didn't want to help anybody in Jesus' name, God cared for you. When you would rather do anything than a God thing, he gave his son so you could be forgiven. See the world's thoughts, how they creep in even to the believer and how God's thoughts settle and strengthen the believer. I'm going to go on a, on a sidebar. I'm going to refrain from giving you a time limit because I know there's a young gentleman who likes to time me when I say that. And he texts me and says, you went longer than you said. So I'm going to, I'm always, always getting humbled. It's always good to be around people that always keep you in check. Um, so, so I'm not going to tell you how long the sidebar is going to be. Um, but I will come back to the main bar eventually. Um, the sidebar is this. Could you imagine loving like Jesus loved? I quoted the scripture, Romans 5, 8. Could, how many of you, when someone is consistently indifferent to you that you want to give all of your love to them. How, how many of you, when you are confronted with absolute hostility and even violence, your response is, I just can't wait to get close to them. I just, I'm, they're on my mind. They're in my heart. I want to draw near to that person who hates me. You like that? That's how you are? Well, that's how Jesus is. Because make no mistake, you were born a God hater. Don't ever think because you were born in the church that you were born a Christian. That is a myth. I told those nine-year-olds right there in VBS, I said, there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. Which were you born into? And the little girl from suburbs just got out of the Starbucks said, well, I was born into the kingdom of God. I said, wrong, sweetheart. You were born in the kingdom of Satan. You got to be born again to get to the kingdom of God. Oh, it's penetrating. Oh, it's painful to consider. That's why we like to gloss over God's thoughts. Can you just get to a new point? Can we do something else? No, why don't you stay here for a minute? It'll change your life. The sidebar is Jesus is calling you to learn to love like that. And it's going to feel at times like you're burning alive. You're going to need what I'm giving you. If you've not been in sacrificial service to God where you feel like you're burning alive, you hold too much of yourself back from the altar. You're going to need 
to meditate on the mercies of God to keep you all on that altar burning up. That's when you start to know God's will for your life. I'm just not, I'm just not sure it's God's will because it's not working out. Oh, that may be exactly where God wants you. I'm just not sure, you know, everything seems to be going against me. Yeah, well, you ever seen the cross? You ever see a picture of that? That was God's will for Jesus Christ. You ever see what the disciples were doing to him before he, he went to the cross? Sleeping and betraying and leaving. Feels like I'm all alone. I don't know if it's God's will for me. I, I like to be comforted. And I, like to, I like to be built up. I like, I, like to, I like to have the high fives and stuff. He, you need, maybe you need to walk, learn to walk alone with Jesus. That's a part of your sacrifice. That's a part of your fire. The only way you're going to stay in that fire is by meditating on the blood. Y'all with me? See how we tying that back around? Another thought of the world, and we'll begin to close. I always have tomorrow. I always have more time. That's a thought from the world. You know, in a, in a relatively humorous example, we use that about diets. Once you hit about 35, 40, you're always wrestling with the calories and everything. And you say, well, I'm going to start that diet tomorrow. And we can all chuckle and laugh because, you know, on the big scheme of morality internally, whether I have a donut or a broccoli stick, eh, not so we can all just chuckle. You guys are not chuckling, man. You're not really up today, but, um, but I'm chuckling. I want that, that, that donut. But, um, but we, 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 we say things in that arena. That's just normal. Con- I'm going to start that diet tomorrow. You know, I thought you was on the diet. Yeah, tomorrow. I got, I got that tomorrow. But that's indicative of a thought that's birthed in the heart of the world. And it is insidious because it crops up in things that do matter. Broccoli and donuts, eh, unless you're super, super, super sick, don't matter as much. But I told my wife, because I like to let her in on a little collab, I said, well, but if I said, babe, I'm going to be a better husband tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know. Now, now we're not laughing. She's not laughing now. She's like, you better get on that yesterday. And then I told my kids, well, you know, I'm gonna be a better father tomorrow. They say, well, I wish you would start. I wish tomorrow would come. And then obviously we're working as a crescendo, crescendo. I'm not musical. So I probably said that incorrectly. Um, as you move up, we look at the creator, the God who gave us life. Or we actually don't look at him because we're turning our back to him. And we say, I'm going to think about you tomorrow. Problem is, you will not always have tomorrow. You do not always have more time. Psalm 90 verse 12 said, teach us to number our days in the wisdom of our heart. James 5 reminds us that our life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. I don't care if you get 120 years. It's going. It's going. You do not have more time. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says this. I'm just going to summarize it because we're moving close to the end of our time together. It is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Let me tell you a little bit about something for those who don't know my Lord Jesus Christ in the audience today. Let me tell you a little something about Judgment Day. It's not exhaustively explained in the Bible, but here are the points that you don't want to miss. You are not going to be late for Judgment Day. 
you are going to have no control over when your appointment is for judgment day. And you are going to have no say in what happens on that day. Unless you've made a decision for Christ today. Another wise thing for my wife, she says, is how come people who know they had no control over when they were born, to whom they were born, think that when they die, they're going to have all the say in the world. That's a world thought versus a God thought. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your truth and we want to thank you in addition to your truth for your great care for us, Lord. The fact that you love us the way you love us literally changes our life. And we pray that you would teach us to meditate on that regularly. And thank you, Father in heaven, for giving us the call, the command, and the invitation to crawl up on that altar and let our lives be burned up as a sacrifice pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.